You know, last uh, Sunday, I did a message in the book of Revelation as we're back in that series, and it was about setting your affections or your eyes or your hearts or your minds on things above. And this is basically part two of that message. We'll be back in, Lord willing, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, uh, next Wednesday. And uh, because we're going through 1 Timothy, and, and that message I had all compiled, I just had to organize it been working on that diligently, and that's on that great verse, you know, that God, isn't willing, that God is willing that all would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth, amen, which is such a needed truth right now, because that truth is under assault. In the name of exalting Christ, people are actually attacking or assaulting uh, Christ, and many people are coming to believe that he doesn't want all to be saved and so forth, and there's a lot of, that, there's a lot of twists and turns that verse has been given, facelifts lately. Uh, and we're going to be looking at that in its proper context and get a lot of hope out of that. So I've been really looking at that. But I want to do a part two of Sunday's message because uh, I noted that, that, that message. I got a lot of feedback that a lot of people were inc- very, very encouraged. had one gal call me that lives in another state saying that uh, she had friends over that had seen it in their live stream group. And the guy was like, did you call him and tell him to preach that message? After, you know, or actually she said she went to him and said, just let you know, I didn't call him and I haven't talked to him for a while. And uh, I didn't call him because the guy said it had fit his, what he was going through. And he said, during the message, I was thinking the whole time she talked to, she wants to talk to him because he's, and it was because he needed his focus to be on the Lord and on heaven. And not that it wasn't, but it was perfect for him. And another, a number of people got encouraged and that's because this world is just ugly right now, and we know, you know, it's been ugly since the sin of Adam, amen, since the fall of man, but it gets exceedingly worse, as the Bible says, in the end of days. The Bible says, in the last days, right, perilous times will come, and it gives a whole list of different things. I quote those verses sometimes, but a little bit later, it says, evil men will proceed from bad to worse, and all those who live godly in Christ Jesus says will suffer persecution, you will suffer because of that, because of the wickedness of the world. That's why Jesus said the love of many would grow cold. And uh, after he said that lawlessness would increase. And then he told us that we need to endure to the end. Amen. We need to keep our love lights lit for Jesus, man. Keep our lamps lit, Jesus said. Amen. And it's easy to let the world discourage you when you see what's going on around you. You know. You see all this craziness going on uh, with regard to like shootings over and over again and all these many of these kids are you know hopped up on all kinds of psychotropic drugs that are legal drugs that are prescribed to them uh zoloft and xanax and so forth and it's i mean when you look at how many of these shooters were on have been on these drugs that were prescribed to them for a period of time and then you look at the music they're into this last guy was making evil rap music and was all immersed in it and you have songs that are over and over again promoting you know uh, death and encourage, encouraging death and shooting up neighborhoods as Jay-Z uh, has in one of his songs about shooting up whole neighborhoods and so forth. What do you expect? We're going to see this stuff because these kids are being programmed. This stuff is, is being glorified. And everybody wants to say, oh, it's the gun. Well, the guns have been around for a long, long time. Uh, I'm not saying there doesn't need to be uh, laws to keep guns out of people's hands like that guy. There ought to be, you know, crazy people ought not be having uh, guns, you know, uh, kids that are all, you know, 
he was suicidal, all kinds of stuff that be prior to that. But what I am saying is that we need to be careful because that young man is, represents perhaps millions of people that are being just programmed like that that won't go to that extent. But who knows? I mean, when the end comes, it's going to get really ugly, you know, especially when uh, Christians are considered the culprit, you know. I saw something from liberals on TikTok and a lady is screaming through her. I mean, just, she's, I mean, just like maniacally screaming, the gas prices and everything up. It's whose fault? And, you know, all the inflation, it's, it's all the fault of the Christian right. And I'm like, what? You know, I'm like, what? Uh, the Christian right is not uh, in power. <laughs> uh, Biden, I think, is in power last time I checked. And he's been in power for going a couple years. But I just thought, Wow. They want a scapegoat, and a lot of people hate those who represent righteousness, those who represent living our lives for the Lord. You know, uh, it's just crazy, you know, what, what's going on right now. You know, Mike was just sharing with me a clip that he's going to send to me where a person is, you know, talking in a normal, pretty normal voice, and all of a sudden they talked about they love killing babies, and it was demonic the way it came out, different than the way they were talking prior to that. Uh, and guess what? You're the bad guys if you feel it's important to keep babies alive and keep them from getting murdered in a lot of people's book. It's just like the Bible says, calling good evil and evil good, putting darkness for light and light for darkness. And we've reached times where it's like it was in those days. Uh, so I want to give you a message that this is a lot about not losing your heart, about keeping your heart. And, and you might be good right now and say, yeah, my heart's right with Jesus. I'm I'm strong. Because the Bible says, yeah, make sure, you know, we're supposed to make sure that our hearts don't grow cold in the midst of what's going on. And I thought, you know, let's do one more message on staying focused on the bigger picture, staying focused on the fact that this home is transitory, it's temporal, these bodies are very uh, limited, uh, and they're not eternal until they're resurrected, and we're not there yet. And I want to give you some encouraging scriptures to encourage you, scriptures that encourage me a lot in, in my walk with Jesus to just keep, keep heart. In fact, uh, and not to lose heart. Hebrews 12, if you can turn there, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. And this is after he goes through what we call the hall of faith, right? Not the hall of fame, but the hall of faith. All these believers, it says, died in their faith. They went to their reward, and they were still awaiting that reward, uh, that heavenly uh, promised land that God had promised them and it talks about some horrible things they went through and how they endured and persevered in their faith and they died in the faith I love that and then I love it because in Hebrews 12 he brings up the main person we should be looking to as an example we should be looking at their faith and saying praise God because the scriptures say in the book of Hebrews talks about emulating the faith of those who've gone before us and that's earlier in Hebrews and then you have that chapter it's like beautiful but here it says therefore since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, and we have a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, uh, exegetes debate whether or not this is referring to uh, witnesses, meaning those who'd gone before us, that they're a witness, uh, a testimony, their lives were testimonies as to the way we ought to live. Uh, others say, no, it could mean witnesses, meaning we're being witnessed by those who've gone before us and that they are cheering us on. And I actually believe biblically you can prove that there's truth to both notions. Absolutely, they are witnesses. And when you look at that term witnesses, it can be used both ways in the Greek, which makes it more interesting. And perhaps the Lord means both, but he definitely means 
that these guys are witnesses as to the lives that we should be living in their perseverance, in their faith, and not giving in. But it's interesting also that we have the saints in heaven who cry out, you know, to God, how long, O God, to avenge our blood and those uh, who dwell upon the earth and so forth. And, and they're, they're like crying out to God for God's judgment to come. Yet, and they're, and they're seeing what's happening in the heavenlies, which is a real trip, you know. And Jesus was uh, encouraged by Moses and Elijah, you remember? When he was on the mount regarding his death that he was to accomplish, you know. And so the saints that have gone before us, they're very aware of what's going on in this world. And uh, we're, we read in Revelation chapter 8, you know, verse 1 and other places and following where the saints, the believers are praying, you know. And, it's, and they can pray there. We don't pray to them and say, hey, pray for me, amen. You pray to God in the name of Jesus, amen. But it's cool to think that we have people uh, that have gone before us and believers that are cheering us on. But it says, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on who? On Jesus, the author and perfecter of the faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now look at this, verse 3. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will what? You will not grow weary and what? Lose heart. You want to make sure you keep your eyes on Jesus. If you get your eyes on Jesus, you will grow weary and you will lose heart. Remember Peter, when he was actually walking on the water? Wow. As soon as he took his eyes off of Jesus and put him on the waves, he began to sink, right? And Jesus grabbed him and pulled him up. And you know what? We get our eyes on the waves, the sea. The Bible uses in the book of Revelation, the sea is a picture of the many peoples, Right? And we get our eyes on what's going on and we get our eyes off of Jesus and all of a sudden we begin to sink. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus. That way we will not lose heart. We will not grow weary and we will not lose heart. It's key. And it says for the, goes on to say, for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. So he saw the big picture, right? He saw what was before him. He saw, you know, I get out of this world. I get through what I've been called to go through. I've been called to die for the sins of the world as a son of God. And I have the joy that's set before me. And you think he regretted that when he was in glory after the resurrection? No, of course not. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And we need to endure. The Lord's taken, called us to take up our own cross. We need to endure that. And we do that by the joy that's set before us, which is to be with him forever. In 2 Thessalonians 3.13, 2 Thessalonians 3.13 says, But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary of doing good. Don't grow weary of doing good. Don't lose heart. Galatians 6.9 says, Let us not grow weary in well-doing, for in due time we will reap the harvest if we do not give up. 2 Corinthians 4.1 says, Therefore, since God... Uh, uh, since God in his mercy has given us this ministry, we do not lose heart. So in light of the fact that the Lord's involved in our lives, that he loves us, that he cares for us, in light of 1 Corinthians 15, 50, 15, 50 through 57 talks about the coming resurrection, right? Talks about how the, the dead, they're going to be raised, but this talks about the living, we're going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, Amen. And then it says in verse 58, he says, therefore, what's the therefore? 
in light of the fact that he's coming back and you're going to be with him forever, right? You'll be resurrected in immortal, imperishable, he says, incorruptible bodies. He says, therefore, my beloved brethren, do not. He says, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable. What does it mean to be steadfast and immovable? It means you, man, you're, you're, you're in, man. You're not going anywhere, right? Right? Always abounding, not once in a while, but always abounding in the work of the Lord. And how do you always abound in the work of the Lord? You don't lose heart. You keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. And then he goes on to say, for your toil or your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Amen? The toil, your labor. The Lord says in Hebrews chapter 6, verse around 9 and 10, he says the Lord's not unjust to forget what you've done for him in being a blessing to the saints. He takes note of that. All these things are written down in books. Your name, it says you're to rejoice because your name is written in the book of life. Amen? But there's also books that write down our deeds and what we've done. And your labor, he says, is not in vain in the Lord. So you have to keep all this in mind, that this is all, this is a test. And if you're trusting Jesus, you've already, you're passing it, amen? Because he, what he's done, he's gone before us. And here's another do not lose heart. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18, which I referenced last Sunday. Therefore, do not lose heart, although I didn't focus on that part, but why do we not, why not to lose heart, Paul? Because even as it said in Hebrews, we don't lose heart if our eyes are fixed on Jesus. Here again, we have the same thing. Don't lose heart. You keep your eyes on the eternal. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes on what is, I'm sorry, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Man, this outward body is decaying day by day. But man, how encouraging it is, is it for the believer that's following Christ to know that your inward person is being renewed day by day. Remember, we're, not, we're in the world, but not of it. Our physical bodies are in the world. They're going to be resurrected in the future. But our eternal, our, our hearts, our minds belong to Jesus. That's why we set our affections on things above. And we're seated in heavenly places. So you could go through illnesses here, difficulties, tough circumstances, trials, uh, tribulations, uh, injuries, severe sicknesses, diseases, all those sorts of things we go through in this fallen world. And we, re the reality is that we're getting older. We're getting weaker physically. We're falling apart. But inwardly, your inner person can be strengthened as you partake of the meat and the milk of the word, amen? Your inner person can be strong, amen? Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Because it's interesting, we don't see it, okay? We see the outward man, but the Lord looks on the heart, amen? He sees a lot of people, some of the strongest, most impressive people that the Lord looks at, he sees, wow, that inner person is really, really strong. Sometimes there are old ladies that just pray a lot, man. Old men that are seeking to cry out to God and, and, and preaching, sharing the word and so forth. It doesn't matter where you're at physically. What matters ultimately is where you're at spiritually. Amen? That's a huge key. I was uh, walking with a couple of my grandkids and uh, I had Galilee in one arm and I'm walking with them down the street and we went camping for a few days. We haven't had a real vacation in years so we thought we'll get a few days off, you know. Uh, and I'm walking with, uh, with Galilee, and, and she just loves to play, you know. She's at that age, a couple years old, and 
So everyone, so I'd pretend I'd bump into a pole and dying, and she would just laugh to the point where she's becoming like, you know when they lose their breath? It's just laughing so hard. And, she just, and then you've got to keep doing it, right? Then you can't stop because you don't want to make them sad. And then Ariella like runs up. She wants to get in on the action. And she's like, Papa, pick me up too. I'm already walking with her. And it's like, okay, and Ariella's a bit bigger. So I grabbed her. And I've had for the last couple months or so, right back here, I think it's my tricep, just, you know, pulled or something to where if I lay on my side to sleep, it just hurts, aches, you know. And it's just been aching for a couple months. And, uh, and I knew it. it. It's painful when I hold something sometimes. And then, but I was like, oh, I couldn't say no. So I yanked her up. And when I yanked her up, it was like, ah, like this, ah. And I couldn't get my arm up past there without it burning. It, would be, it wasn't like, ah, starts hurting. It was like, ah, <laughs> you know, ah. I did a lot of ah and, you know. And then uh, when I got home, man, I couldn't even put my hand on my desk to use my mouse on my computer. I had to put it on my leg, you know, to use it. And it's just a reminder, though, to me that these bodies are breaking down. And they're, get, they're getting older and older, you know. And, uh, you know, and hopefully that'll get better, you know. It's good enough. To, I didn't think I'd, I thought, I'd, how am I going to even, even preach, you know. I'm going to be like this. But uh, praise God, you know. Uh, hours later, after I got home, it got a bit, little bit better. And now it's a lot better. But anyway, the cool thing, guys, is you know your bodies. And you might be young and vibrant saying, man, I've never had physical problems. Just wait, you know. It's, I mean, it's going to happen, you know. And that's why you have to keep your eyes on Jesus and the big picture, amen, that we have this eternal hope. And the cool thing is, we're not just waiting for heaven. God's already at work in us, amen, renewing us day by day. And the cool thing, though, he goes on to say that no trial that you go through, whatever you go through, the hardest times you go through can't be compared to the glory that we revealed, right? So when you get to heaven, you, you will look back and you'll say, wow. You might even say, man, I wish I would went through a lot more hard times because this is just absolutely amazing because it helps produce what the blessings that are ahead. And that, that's pretty amazing. Now, the, the, the idea is keeping your eyes on Jesus. God used Moses to guide the people to the promised land. And we read this great promise, Deuteronomy 31.6. It says, God commanded Moses to, quote, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble at them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. What a beautiful promise. Now Moses dies. Moses is barred from the promised land. Remember he hit the rock twice. He got angry, yelled at the people, and God said, that wasn't my heart, you know. And, uh, well, it's interesting. Who succeeded? You remember who succeeded Moses? It was Joshua. But it's interesting because Joshua, he's probably like, oh, now, oh, wow, I'm supposed to lead these guys now? How am I going to do that? I mean, I'm not Moses, you know? How could I do this and so forth? I mean, what he must have been wondering, but God encouraged him. In the beginning of the book of Joshua, chapter 1, verse 9, we read this. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. He commanded Joshua the same way, the same, basically the same promise. Now, it's quite amazing when you think about it because Moses was a picture of the what? The law. Remember that? And they had to keep the law. They had to get in the promised land. I mean, if you were, you know, those who, many that did not, most of them didn't make it in the promised land, right? Even Moses didn't make it in the promised land. Moses represented the law. Joshua, that's the Hebrew name for who? Jesus. Yeshua. 
Okay, Yahshua, Yeshua in Hebrew, uh, is, you know, the name of Jesus in Hebrew is Yeshua. Amen? And guess who gets us into the kingdom? Joshua brought them into, Yeshua, Hebrew name, brought them into the promised land. Is a, can we right now? Because we're in the new wilderness people, man. We're now going through the wilderness. And that promised land is a picture of the heavenly kingdom in the book of Jude, in the book of 2 Peter, in the book of Hebrews, okay? Uh, in 1 Corinthians 10, over and over again, God uses that picture as a picture for us. Now we're on our heavenly journey. We're to, headed to the promised land. Can we get there through keeping the law of Moses? No. No. How do we get there? Just as Yeshua, or Yeshua, took them in, Joshua took them in, Jesus takes us into the eternal kingdom, amen? amen? Paid for our sins. We keep our eyes fixed on him, amen? And that's key because a lot of them lose, lost heart in the wilderness. A lot of them went in back to a life of sin. A lot of them wanted to go back to the, the garlic and the onions and the, and the leeks and so forth and complained and murmured against Moses. Even then, God was giving them a picture of Christ. Remember when they were murmuring and God allowed them to be bit by poisonous snakes everywhere, right? They were falling dead. And what did God do when they were sick and dying? He had Moses put up a, a brass pole with a serpent across it, which would be a picture of the cross. And whoever looked to that pole would be healed so they could continue their journey toward the promised land. And Jesus said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so shall the Son of Man be lifted up. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And so we look to Jesus, amen, and healing takes place salvifically. We, we look to Jesus, we got saved. But guess what? When you fall short, you have to cry out to the Lord, amen? We ask him for forgiveness, we receive forgiveness. He strengthens us, then we carry on toward the promised land as the new wilderness people, amen? And the Lord was with them. The Lord was with them during the time of Moses. Remember, the, remember during the daytime, right? The cloud, right? The glory of God they followed and the, the, the pillar of fire at night they followed. Remember that? That's a blow mind, man. And guess what? In Joshua's time, man, they're going into the promised land now. They get in the promised land. They have the tabernacle, which where God's presence was in the Holy Holies, remember? He was with them. We have something even greater. We have the Holy Spirit, amen? amen. We have Christ in us, the hope of glory, amen? amen? Jesus said, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Remember when he said, go into all the world? So we're called to preach the gospel. The, the interesting thing for us is that we're called to bring as many people with us as we can. Jew and Gentile, amen? But while we're doing that, he's with us to strengthen us on our journey. Man, your life as a Christian is so amazing. First of all, you've been redeemed, amen? You've been given life. That just blows me away. We're creating the image of God. That always blows me away when I think about it. There's literally millions of different species. And to be made into those species would be pretty cool. Be cool to be a bird, right? Be cool to be a lot of these creatures, some creatures, you know, some are like, Lord, can I pass on that one? You know? But, I mean, it's a trip. But to be created in his image... And then to have blown it and have God become a man and die in your place. But then for him, not only to die in your place to save you from the wrath that you deserve, but to prepare a place for you. Amen? Amen. And to write your name in heaven and to make you a joint heir with Christ where you are in the elect. He's the chosen one of Israel. Isaiah 42, 
right? Matthew chapter 12, he is the elect one and coming to him, we become part of the elect. How beautiful is that? Because as part of the elect, we've been baptized in by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. We've dipped into the body of Christ and we're members of his body now by the Holy Spirit putting us in the body of Christ. And now it says that we are joint heirs with Christ. In John 17, verse 24, Father, glorify them. Or, you know, Jesus talks about, you know, the glory they had with the Father from the beginning, that the Father loved him from the beginning, from the founda- before the foundation of the world, John 17, 24. And elsewhere in John 17, it says, Father, you've loved them with the same love with which you've loved me. Wow. I mean, it's just mind-boggling that we have all this, but that also the Lord is with us right now and that he's used the trials that we go through to strengthen us, to perfect us, to make us more like Christ, and he's sanctifying us. It's all so beautiful. And that's why, you know, it's important to keep in mind that Paul said in Philippians, right, 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And we quote that verse a lot. I, I, that verse is on my lips a lot through my Christian walk, that we can do all things, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But the context of that verse is so amazing because you have to remember, Paul is in a prison at that time. And he's talking over and over again about the joy of the Lord, amen, which comes from Christ who strengthens him. And he says in 4, 12, and 13, writing from prison, I know that, I know what it is to be in need. He knows what is, he's in poverty, he's in prison. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in whatever situation I'm in. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Amen? So no matter what situation you are facing, and things can get a lot worse for us in this lifetime, hostility can break out. Who knows? I mean, it's breaking out for a lot of Christians throughout different parts of the world, a lot of the Middle Eastern nations. We just take a lot for granted. Oh, no, we're safe. Everything's good. We need to be praying for them. Amen? But Christ is our strength. Amen? He's our strength. And Paul said he learned the secret of how to be content in all of his circumstances. What was the secret? What was Paul's secret to learn? How to be content in whatever situation? What situation are you facing right now? You can be content. How? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's the secret, man. That's the secret. I love Isaiah 41.10. Listen and following. I will strengthen you and help you. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. Listen to that. I will strengthen you and help you, he says. He says, so do not fear, I am with you. Don't fear because he's what? He's with you. If you're a Christian, you trust Jesus, he is with you, you don't have to fear. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. He's our God. He's not just some spirit helper. He's the creator of the universe, amen? Not some spirit guide, some demonic entity that's really gonna hurt you in the end if you put your trust in them. He's the one true God. I will strengthen you and I will help you. I will uphold you. Listen to this. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I'll uphold you with my righteous right hand. That's interesting because he said that, and this is the book of Isaiah, before the incarnation, before God became a man. And who is at the right hand of the Father right now? Jesus. Who was at the right hand of the Father before the incarnation, before God became a man? Jesus. And later in Isaiah, he says, who, and there's no one to stand in the gap. Who can, he goes, I will save them with my own right hand. And then there's a whole radical prophecy. It re, it, the arm of the Lord is revealed. 
Isaiah 53 about Jesus. He is the strength of our lives, guys. He upholds us. He is our, our, the one we put our trust in. And you know, he promises no matter what you're going through, that your, his grace, his grace is sufficient for you. Now we talk a lot, about, a lot in this fellowship about how we're saved by grace through faith, that not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, amen? Not of works, lest anyone should boast. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God's eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we're saved purely by grace through faith, by putting our trust in Jesus, amen? But there's different ways that God's grace manifests. And there's saving grace, but there's also his strengthening grace, his enabling grace, his empowering grace, his assisting grace, his grace by, whereby the Holy Spirit strengthens you throughout the day. The Bible says, as your day is, so shall your strength be. No matter what you go through, God will give you the strength. He may want you to just lay back and rest for a day, but he'll be there to strengthen you, to seek him and know him. But the scriptures tell us, I love this, 2 Corinthians 12, 9 10. Paul is talking about being persecuted, being wiped out, being laid low to the point of almost dying throughout 2 Corinthians. And he says this, because he prayed three times that the thorn that was in his flesh, very, very painful, that the Lord would take it away. And he prayed three different times the Lord would take this away. Have you ever had a circumstance where you're like, Lord, this seems unbearable. Can you please take this away from me? I'm going through too much. I don't know if I can handle this. And Paul's crying out. Three different times he prays, and the Lord did not take that thorn from him after those three prayers. Remember that? What did Paul say? And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. Listen to that. For power is perfected in weakness. Remember that song? Let the weak say I am strong. Remember that? Let the poor say I'm rich. Amen. And we say let the weak say I'm strong. He's not saying you're weak, but really you're strong. No, he's saying you're strong because of Christ in you. Amen. I remember a gal when I was a young Christian, and she was, uh, she was a newer believer too, I believe. And I think I was like in my, you know, I was probably 19 or 20 years old, right around there. And she was, we were singing that song, and she just got it. It just dawned on her after that song. It was like a bunch of young people singing and praising God together. And she goes, I just realized it. I always think I'm strong when I think of song, But really, it's about being weak and being strong in him. I'm like, she got it. Good. And we have to realize that. Do you get that through your life, though? on a daily basis, that he's supposed to be the strength of our lives, that he allows these weaknesses in our lives where things don't always work the way they ought to, to remind us that we're not only in a fallen world, but he's the strength of our lives. Amen? And he said to me, Paul says, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, Paul says, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. See, God gives grace to the humble. It's when you boast about your weaknesses and realize, man, I'm weak without Jesus, that you humble yourself and he enables you and empowers you. He says, therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am what? Then I am strong. Brothers and sisters, are you crying out for God's grace? Are you saying, Lord, you know, mediate, give me your, your grace to me. Give me your strength for the day. Empower me. I'm going through this, Lord. It's tough. Be the strength of my life. Or you're praying for something and you've been, wow, I've been praying for this a while. But can you come to the point where you say, okay, 
until the Lord tells me or shows me I'm not to pray for this or I see that's outside of his will, I'm still going to rest in the reality that his grace is sufficient for me. Amen? Amen? His grace, we sing that song, his grace is what? More than what? More than enough. Amen? His grace is more than enough. It's, it takes care of us. He takes care of us in our weaknesses, you know. And it's interesting because the Apostle Paul is relying on God's strength. Remember Timothy? Timothy was a man who had weaknesses. Paul says, take a little wine, a, a little bit of wine for your frequent stomach ailments. And Timothy was extra introverted, it seems. Many commentators get the same feeling about that. But the Lord tells Timothy, Paul tells Timothy to lead. He tells him that he is his strength. Amen. That God says to Timothy, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Amen. So it's important that we keep that in mind. We're called to be strong in the Lord. In fact, his power, as we mentioned, is, straight, is, is perfected in our weakness. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I, I shall lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. For your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love or mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He's a good shepherd, man. And the shepherd loves the sheep. The shepherd leads his sheep. The shepherd takes care of his sheep. The shepherd nurtures his sheep. The shepherd protects his sheep. He cares for his sheep. And Jesus, our good shepherd, lays his life down for the sheep. Amen? And we have all these incredible promises, yet he's with us through the valley of darkness and death. And that's important because Jesus has sent us out into the world. We have mission trips you can get involved in. You, sh you need to realize that you are on the mission field. We are in the uttermost parts of the earth from where that command was given, amen? The mission field is all around us. And a very small percentage of people know Jesus. And we need, to look, we need to pray, God, give me the courage, give me the strength to just witness to people. And a guy came over today, an exterminator, because those co cockroaches, I'm like, I'm not using cockroaches coming up in my backyard through the sink. And there's Lisa's dad, who was an exterminator before he retired, said, yeah, you know, they come up from underground, the sewer, you know. The guy's telling Lisa, before I saw this guy today, yeah, the cockroaches, he goes, yeah, they're dying of thirst, so they're coming up, you know. And we got black widows and all that stuff, and we haven't used an exterminator since we've been living where we're living. But I said, you know, we'll take a crack at it because we have the grandkids around all the black widows and stuff, and they seem to pop up left and right. But there is this guy, and I bring him in, and we sit down, and this Lord, help me witness to him. Help me, help me share with him, you know? And I began to share with him and began to encourage him. And I found out that he has a Mormon background. He's been on a Mormon mission trip, you know? And I encouraged him to look into Christ and who Jesus is and Joseph Smith and whether he was a true prophet or not. And I let him know, hey, I, I care about you. I love you, man. I, in fact, it would be very easy for me just to do business because I've got, a, well, I've got busy days for the most part, right? And he says, no. I could tell you care about my soul and, and, that, and I'm glad you're talking to me like this, you know. And we had a really good talk. And I said a bit, you know. He looked at his watch a few times because it, we probably talked 25 minutes, half hour. And he had a two o'clock appointment and he hadn't even started my house yet, you know. But I didn't even care if he skipped my house. I have to deal with more cockroaches and black widows. But it's worth someone's soul, right? 
So uh, I let him go eventually. But now he's going to be back in a few months or so. Uh, I think in a month. And then it's like every few months for a little bit. And I thought, okay, then I'm going to go a little deeper with him. Uh, but you just look for opportunities to witness. And they're before us. And you say, Lord, you know, help me be a light. Help me bring people with me. But you know what Jesus said? I sent you out as lambs among wolves. And Paul said in Romans chapter 8 that we're counted as sheep for the slaughter. But he said, neither height nor depth, nor principal or power, and any other creative thing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. We don't have to fear death or principalities or powers. They can't separate us from the love of God which is in Christ. Amen? So we're supposed to take heart and not lose heart because what can harm us if we are in Christ? Amen? You are invincible in Christ. Not because you are invincible, but because he's invincible. The key is being in Jesus, amen? If you're in Jesus, no one can harm you. Jesus says they're going to kill you. And then the next verse in Luke 21, he says, but not one hair on your head will perish. What? It means a lot. I had to look at double and triple take that. Oh, that's because we're eternal in him, amen? We're going to be resurrected. Remember, as a younger believer, I was like, they're going to kill you, but not one hair on your head will perish. But he wants us to understand the big picture, amen? We're to be resurrected within imperishable, incorruptible bodies. It's beautiful. It's amazing. So it's amazing what we have in Christ. And I'll tell you what, I mean, I love what Jesus says in Luke chapter 12, verses 6 and 7, that you are more valuable than many sparrows. And he talked about how God takes care of, of the lilies of the field, and he dresses them. And none of, none of Solomon, is, in all his glory, was not dressed as beautiful as one of those lilies, he said. And the Father takes care of them. He takes care of the ravens of the sky. He takes care of the sparrows. And I love what it says in Luke chapter 12, verses 6 and 7. In fact, why don't you go there with me? Luke chapter 12. Verses 6 and 7. Are not five sparrows, he says, sold for two cents? Five sparrows for two cents. Yet not one of them is forgotten before God. Wow. Not one little sparrow is forgotten by God. That shows you the mind of God, right? And then he says, indeed, the very hairs on your head are all numbered. Do not fear. You are more valuable than what? Many sparrows. Wow. Wow. I love that. And I love it too because in Matthew, when you read Matthew chapter 10, verse 29, the parallel passage, uh, you see that uh, in Matthew's passage, uh, it, it states that two were sold for a penny. So Luke says five for what? Two cents, two pennies. Matthew says two for a what? A penny. Is there a discrepancy? No. It means, you, it means you can get two sparrows for a penny. Well, if you had two pennies, it shows me that if you get two pennies, you get another one thrown in. That's called business, right? You get five sparrows. <laughs> That's actually pretty cool when you think about it. Uh, but guess what? They're so inexpensive. Th humans barely think about them as a point. They think they're so, but they're, more, they're valuable to the Father. He still cares about them. And in Matthew, he says, not one sparrow falls to the ground without the Father being at his funeral, so to speak, without the Father taking note of it. That's heavy, man. The Father's at the funerals of the sparrows, but how much more valuable are you to him? You guys, he knows every year. It's not, they're numbered. 
He, 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 I, I always try to get a, a, get a, my prayer is that we'd understand the height and the depth and the width and the length of, and the length of God's love for us in Christ Jesus. And that's always my prayer for this fellowship, that we'd understand how much he cares about us, how much he loves us, because there's so much peace and joy in that. And we love him because he first loved us, amen? And he was forgiven much what? Loves much. We just want to love him more. So it's important that we meditate upon verses like this about the Lord's care for us and the fact that God does love us. In fact, in Lamentations, Jeremiah was like, he was losing the heart, man. He was to a place where he's like, man, you read Jeremiah? There's, parts, there's a place where he wants to give up, you know? He says, you've deceived me to the Lord. The Lord doesn't deceive anyone. And he is in a bad place. The Lord had to correct him. In Lamentations, he wrote Lamentations. It means weeping. And in Lamentations, he begins to just express his sadness because he wasn't getting a single convert. Now he's ministered to millions of people, by the way. Don't despise the day of small beginnings, it says in the book of Job, right? Your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Thus saith 1 Corinthians 15, 58. But in Lamentations, he says, he, he says he almost, you know, it's almost like Psalm 73 where the psalmist almost fell, he says, until he went in the sanctuary of the Lord. And he saw that the Lord puts the feet of the wicked on slippery places, that he's sovereign. The wicked are going to pay ultimately, but that his portion was with the Lord forever. Whew, then he was picked up. Well, in Lamentations, he's looking at the bad news. He's watching, you know, Fox News and CNN too much, you know, or whatever. Don't watch CNN, okay? Anyway, be careful with some of Fox too, by the way. Uh, but in Lamentations 3, 22 and 23, he has a change of heart. He says, because the Lord's, uh, Lord's, of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. Meaning, wow, I can't just look at how my people are exiled now in Babylon because of their sin. But I've rec I have to recognize that we deserve worse. And he says that because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions, his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Amen. Aren't you glad his faithfulness is great and that his compassions and his mercies are new every morning? That means every morning you wake up, God's there to greet you and say, hey, I want to have compassion on you. And you have to say, it's by his mercy that I'm not consumed, man. I'm not just destroyed in the holy fire of God. But, but he's full of mercy. He's abounding, it says, in loving kindness and slow to anger. That's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. Psalm 121, beginning at verse 1, states that our help comes from the Lord. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. That's who your help comes from. He will not let you, your foot slip. He will not, he who watches you will not slumber. He doesn't fall asleep. You're like, where are you, Lord? And he's snoring. No, man, he doesn't slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade uh, at your at your is a shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going, both now and I love this forevermore. Amen. Forevermore. Psalm one nineteen verse one fourteen and fifteen says, "You are my refuge and my shield." I have put my hope in your, your word. Away from me, you evildoers, that I may keep the commands of my God. 
So he's our refuge. He's our shield. Wow. And you know what? Many a child has found refuge in the arms of a, of a strong father or mother that cares deeply about them. But our father can never fail. He's an impenetrable fortress. He's a strong tower. And the righteous, it says, run to it, and they are saved. Amen? Amen. So we find our refuge, our refuge in the Lord who promises to take care of us. He says, and, that's, and he loves us since he is a God that's full of compassion. He says, in, in, I love this, in 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Amen? You don't have to run to the, to the doctor or the pharmacist and start taking, you know, a bunch of Xanax and all that stuff. And I'm not saying there's not a place for certain drugs at certain times in a person's life. I don't, don't want to presume that I know all the ins and outs because there's a lot of mystery that goes with this. But I do want to say you need to be careful that that shouldn't be your first deal. Amen? Cain, why is your countenance fallen? Right? Sin is crouching at the door and desires to have you, but you must master it, Cain. But Cain left angry, and he didn't deal with his anger. He became murderous, right? And I don't think a drug would have helped him. His heart needed to be changed, amen? And we need to look to the Lord. And we need to cast our cares on him because he cares for us, amen? Don't be anxious for anything, Paul says, but in all things with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your, let your requests be made known to God. And what will he give you? A peace that passes human understanding. Yet here, like Paul, Peter says, cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. This is very, very important because about 20% of the American population every year deals with anxiety disorders. That's huge. That's huge, and it's getting worse. And it's, it's age of high tech, you know, and the, the woke crowd saying, oh, we're solving all the problems. We don't need God. Yeah, look at the mess you're making, man. You're making a mess of the human mind and the human heart. And people just get, you know, social media doesn't have the answers, you know. I mean, we could use social media for God's glory, but watch out. Because there's a lot of people trying to keep up with the Joneses and, and trying to keep up with what's vogue, what's popular. And they are just stepping into a bunch of junk. And it's just really, really heartbreaking. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 27, Who among you, by worrying, can add a single moment to your life? That's from the words from Jesus. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single moment to your life? In fact, the opposite takes place. When there's a lot of anxiety and worry, it can actually shorten your life. That's why heart failure is... The result of stress is the biggest killer in the country. But we need to look to the Lord. In Philippians 4.19, Paul says, From prison, and my God shall meet all your needs according to his riches and what? Glory. Now, if you're on some kind of anxiety medication, I'm not condemning you. I'm not saying there's no place for that. What I am saying, though, is it's way abused and overused. And a lot of people are on it because they're not seeking the Lord. They're not seeking Jesus. They're not relying on him. And how do I mask it? Because they want to keep their bitterness. They want to keep their anger. They want to keep their disbelief, their lack of trust or whatever. And then they go to the doctor to take care of it and things get worse. I'm not saying there's not a legitimate need, but you need to make sure you do not fall in that category. 
where you're, you're, you're relying on uh, medications to, do, to settle your mind, to be at peace, rather than seeking the Lord first. Now, if you're seeking the Lord and you're crying out to him, and, you know, who knows, there's, there's, there's chemical imbalances. I mean, people, people can get hit in the head with a bat, right? They're going to have some problems, you know, and they might need some kind of medication. Okay, I understand that. But make sure that you're seeking first the Lord and his kingdom and his righteousness, amen? Because, oh, what peace we often forfeit, amen? And what troubles that we go through, right, when we fail to take, as the song says, everything to the Lord in prayer. And I love it because we just need to look to the Lord. And the Lord tells us in, in, in Jeremiah 29, 11, and he's telling this to his people who are now in Babylon. And he says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a hope and what? A future. That's a beautiful promise. Yeah, but that's to those who are in Babylon. Does that really apply to us? Romans 8.28. Same as Romans 8.28. God works all things together for the good. For those who what? Love him and are called according to his purpose. Amen. You just keep loving Jesus. Amen. And he'll work everything you're going through for the good in your life. And Jesus said that we're to take heart. He says, uh, be of be, be of good courage, right? I have overcome the world. In the world, he said, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer or courage. I have overcome the world. So as we abide in Christ and we are in him, right? He's already overcome the world. We're just on his coattails, amen? We're with him and he gives us strength. And we can trust him to use the trials that we go through to have their perfect work. And we're supposed to, as James says in James 1, 2 through 4, when you go through various trials, not to freak out, Amen but to know that God's using those trials to make you like gold, right? To perfect you, as it says in Romans 5, through your trials, and make you like gold, as it says in 1 Peter chapter 1, the verses 5 and 6, and to make you thoroughly uh, uh, complete, mature, lacking nothing, James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. You know that old saying, what, what doesn't kill you will make you stronger? That's James' way of saying that way back then, Okay. That's what he wants you to understand, that when you go through things, don't freak out, but he says to rejoice. See the Lord in your trials, amen? And praise the Lord. He says in his word in Hebrews 2.18, because he himself, it says, suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. He was tempted in every way like, to us, like us, but he didn't sin, amen? amen? So he could give us strength when we're going through trials, and temptations. And he promised, remember, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, there's no temptation that's overtaking you, but that which is what? Common to man. Don't think, oh, nobody's been through what I went through. Yeah, they have. A million times over, okay? But he says, God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but what? Will give you a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Amen? Always take the way of escape. Always trust Jesus. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit or acknowledge him. Uh, and he will make your paths what? Straight. He promises to give us rest. Come to me, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. And I will give you what? Rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Come to him. Come to him. Turn to him. You got these burdens? They had burdens, man. 613 laws they were trying to keep. Just this yoke of bondage. Just, just getting smashed under him. And Jesus took the law on his heart and he went to the cross and died for them. Come to him, right? Take his yoke upon you. His burden's light, guys. 
And what did it mean to be yoked? In those days, you'd yoke two animals together. And by yoking two animals together, the burden would be less for each animal. They'd bear the burden of pulling the plow together. And Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, for my burden is light, right? My yoke is easy. Because guess what? He pulls the weight. Amen? The Lord says that, you know, he bears our burdens. Yet he says, bear one another's burdens. But the word there is kind of interesting. It's different. It speaks of taking a lesser burden. So yeah, he takes the burden of our sin, right? But we help one another. The Bible says to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, amen? And that brethren, if any of your brothers are caught in temptation, you who are spiritual, restore them with a spirit of gentleness, amen? So we help each other through our walks. We don't just walk alone. We're not islands, amen? You have a ministry, amen? You've been given the ministry of reconciliation. We've talked about that. If anyone be in Christ is a new creation, behold, old things have passed away and all things have become new. And then he goes on to talk about how all of us new creations, not just pastors, elders, deacons, what have you, Sunday school workers and so forth. He says all of us as believers have been given a ministry of reconciliation. He talks about, it says, though Christ, and it is, is beseeching or pleading through us for people to be reconciled to God, amen? That God was in Christ Jesus reconciling the world to himself, not holding their, their, their failures or holding their sins against them. Basically saying, you could be forgiven. And he pleads through us now for people to be reconciled to him. And he wants you to rec be recognized that you have a mission in this world, that I have it, brothers and sisters. We all have a mission together. We're called not only to live in this world, but to serve Jesus in it. So, and that, to me, that's so exciting because you just don't live one day to the next eating bonbons thinking there's no meaning to life. You recognize, wow, I'm an ambassador, and it says it in the same chapter, that we're ambassadors for Christ. You represent God's kingdom. And we need to recognize that, man, again, all the things I say we should appreciate, we should also appreciate that, guess what? God's called you to be a light in this world. And if you're hiding your light under the bushel, or you're keeping the salt in the shaker. Jesus said, you're salt of the earth, amen? But he also warned, if that salt's not used, what happens? It's thrown out and trampled underfoot. You ever pick up a salt shaker that hardly ever gets used? Right? And it's just like, gets all stuck, man. Right? You don't want to be all stuck. You want to be used by the Lord. And you guys, I'm telling you right now, and it's like, sometimes people think, oh, that, well, that person just naturally goes out witness. That person just tells, I'm a person that prays. I have to pray, Lord, help me be bold. And then I find myself just sharing. But I find myself other times, oh, I need to pray more. Because I'm not as bold as normal in this circumstance. And I need to pray more. So I'm just always trying to pray, Lord, help me have courage to witness, to be bold. And God gives you the strength. Do you believe he gives you the strength to witness? Yeah. If we ask anything in accordance with his will, he says in 1 John, we what? We have our prayer answered. We do. So it's really, really important that you and I are praying to be ambassadors. Because I'll tell you what, if you are a, if you find yourself in the middle of a fire and you don't know why you're there, you're going to freak out, right? And you're going to run out. But if you recognize, you realize, oh, wait a minute, you know who you are? Now you're in the middle of fire and you realize, man, there's a fire all around me, but I'm a fireman. Oh, I have purpose here. I'm not freaked out. I've been made for this. I've been taught for this, amen? 
And biblically, not one hair on my head is going to perish. Amen? And I have a mission to rescue other people from the fire. It says in the book of Jude, to snatch them out of the fire. When you know who you are, you face things differently. But a lot of us see the fire and the waves raging around us, and we don't know who we are in Christ. And we, don't, we forget that we're not only new creations, but we're ambassadors, and we're firemen, and we're fishermen. Amen? Amen. About Jesus said, I'll make you fishers of men. We're all kinds of things. We're living stones, right, that build up his temple, meant to praise him. What an exciting life we have, man. And I want to end by just pointing out to you that when Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavily burdened, and I will give you rest for your souls, that's, that's a rest he wants us to have now. But you know we get to go into that eternal rest. And it says in Revelation chapter 14, verse 13, right after it says in verses 9 through 12, of those who take the mark of the beast, how there'll be no rest for them day or night, forever and ever, because those who are worshiping the Antichrist, oh, that's heavy, man. Don't tell me the Bible doesn't talk about hell. It's very, very clear. That's in the revelation of Jesus, the last book of the Bible, that there's no rest for them day and night forever and ever. The smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. But you know, right after that, we read in verse 13. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, right, blessed, blessed, man. There's seven, there's seven. There's a lot of sevens in Revelation. Guess what? There are seven. If you count them, we've gone through them all. There's seven Beatitudes, seven blesseds. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, so that they may, what? Rest from their labors, for their deeds follow with them. What does he mean? They get rest. They're in God's presence. And their deeds follow with them. Remember, the books are going to be open. And it says in Revelation 11, 15 through 19, when the Lord comes at the seventh trumpet, the last trumpet, he will reward, reward the, the small and the great and the saints, and those who fear his name. And their deeds follow with them. Man, they persevered. They are now in a heavenly state. And I love Hebrews chapter 4, verse 8 through 11, which talks about this eternal rest, this eternal Sabbath that we're going to go into. For if Joshua had given them rest, it says, he would not have spoken of another day after that. So there remains a Sabbath rest. So Joshua, back to Joshua. We start with Joshua. We're ending with Joshua. Joshua is a picture of Jesus. But Joshua could even give the people rest. Amen? For if Joshua had given them rest, he would have spoken of another, he wouldn't have spoken of another, would not have spoken of another day after that. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works, as God did from his. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest, so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience we don't follow the examples of disobedience don't do that remember lot's wife don't follow that we follow we start off with jesus the author and the finish of our faith amen we look to jesus who for the joy set before him endured the cross amen that way we don't lose heart and we look at the goal and we realize that we're going to enter into this eternal sabbath that seventh day when god rested it's kind of interesting because in the book of Hebrews, it, makes, it, it shows us that that day is like a picture of the eternal day. And when you go to the new heaven, new earth in Revelation chapter 21 and 22, it says there's no more night. It's just one long day. And Christ and the Father, it says, are the light of New Jerusalem. Now we're finally able to be in their presence forever. And this light 
it says God dwells in unapproachable light. No one could approach him, right, and go into his presence and not die. But when we get the new bodies, guess what? We'll be in his presence and we'll be basking in the light of his love, not just spiritually, physically, because we will have resurrected bodies forever and ever. And when we get there, we'll hear those words that Jesus told us that we'll hear for those who persevere in their faith. Well done, good and faithful servants. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Amen. So this concludes our two-part message on, now we'll be going through Revelation. We're going through Revelation. We're looking at the heavenly city, but the two-part message specifically on setting your affections on things above. Let's keep our eyes on Jesus. Let's keep our eyes, not when it says things above, he said on Christ too. When you go to Philippians or Colossians chapter three, who's at the right hand of the Father. Keep your eyes on Jesus, amen? This is really weird. I'm not used to getting done seven minutes early, but let's stand up, you know, and uh, praise God. You might want to write this day down because it rarely happens. It's happened maybe.